This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you open your Bible to John chapter 1 and verse 1, I'll read it to you. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, Who Originates Your Life? Who Originates Your Life? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Comprehend actually means overcome. The darkness did not overcome it. This verse is interesting with these few verses for a couple of reasons. Because it starts off talking about Jesus and the word. And it talks about the message that, that Jesus really brings us. And then it goes on to speak about the fact that what gave him the ability to be able to do that was the fact that he was light and life. God's different to us because he deals with us in different ways. You know, you and I use words to be able to express ourselves. If I was to meet you, you really don't know anything about me. You can give a physical definition and and description as to who I am, but you know nothing about me. You need for me to open my mouth. When I open my mouth, we use words to be able to express who we are. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is my opinion about that. Things come out of us as a result of our mouth. We use words to be able to reveal who we are. They're almost like little packages, little messages that we send to people. And people take that and the interpretation of that gives them an understanding of who we actually are. It speaks about Jesus, but when it speaks about Jesus, Jesus was the physical expression of the invisible God. God finds himself at a place where he is in himself, removed from the physical realm. But he wants us to be able to get to know him. He wants us to be able to to connect with him and have relationship with him. And so because of that, he's done everything that he can to be able to communicate to us who he is. Jesus was the living expression of the invisible God. Everywhere that Jesus went and everything that he did is sending us a message. Every time he, he performed a miracle, every time he spoke a word, every time he taught, what he was doing was he was sending us a message from God. It was about self-revelation from God. It was more about the more than the actual incident that took place. What he was communicating to us through that is, have a look at who God is. Do you see how much he loves people? Do you see what his plan and his purpose is? Do you see what his intention is and what his disposition is towards life? Jesus was communicating to us on an ongoing basis. Jesus really became God's story. Everywhere that he went and everything that he did, it was God's story. He was telling us about the Father. The thing about Jesus' story is that it hasn't finished yet. You see, the book is still being written because he's still alive. The thing that's different about it is this. He may not be here in physical person, but actually he finds himself resident within believers. He finds himself inside each one of us. And because of that, we have his life on the inside of us. 
As born-again believers with the life of Christ on the inside of us, the invitation is that the life that's on the inside of us become flesh and live amongst us. Every time we get a revelation of Christ, what ends up happening is what he's doing is he's taking an aspect of who Christ is in our spirit and he's revealing it to our mindset so that we can begin to live that out. Why does it become important? Because you have a chapter in the book. I hope you have a chapter. You see, when you read the Bible, the Bible is full of different characters. And some people aren't even mentioned. They were just part of the crowd who followed Jesus. But then there were other people who had books written over them. Where do we fit? Where do we fit in all of that? At the end of my life, am I going to get a sentence, special mention, footnote, chapter, what am I going to get? It becomes important because when it's put in that context, we, we begin to recognize that the theme of the book is Christ. The theme of the book is not me. And so my contribution to the book has nothing to do with me because you're not the theme. It has everything to do with him. And because he is the theme of the book, when it comes to the end of our life, everything that we've said and everything that we've done and everything that we said we thought was so marvelous and all our success and all our achievements and all of everything that we've done, it comes and they go, okay, now just wipe that off the table and let's see what's left. You see, the book is about him. So everything that's left after us and what we've done becomes part of the book. It's a good thing. Because what God's saying to us is this. My life is on the inside of you. And my invitation to you is to recognize the fact that he wants to do something inside of your life. He wants to manifest himself. Because just as he worked through Jesus to be able to take and to be able to evidence the Father to the world. And so everybody looked at Jesus and said, we're getting an idea. We're getting a definition as to who the Father is and what he's all about. He's looking for that in our life. Every time you meet somebody, what do you put into that relationship? Every time we speak, where are we speaking from? What I think or from Christ in me? Every time we make a contribution to something, are we speaking from my opinion or what I think or what I feel or what I know? Or are we making a contribution from Christ in me? Any time we're called into a circumstance or a situation, what are we revealing in that situation? It becomes important because I've began to recognize for my life that I think, although I, I, we talk about it, and I didn't think I did it, but I think we compartmentalize God in some ways. You see, we become so comfortable and so second nature with living our life that as we run through everyday life, there is so much stuff that bombards us. There are so many actions that are demanded from us, so many decisions that need to make, things happening on an ongoing basis. And I, I fit in, I fall into a rut called routine and I do those things and it becomes second nature and I live in that way. And when something happens, I think about what it, need, what it is that I need to do to fix that stuff. But how often do we default to sit and say, hold on, there's something more about this. What about him? He is the theme of things. So it carries on and it speaks about the importance of the word and then it goes on and Jesus says, "Um, I am the life. 
and I'm the light of man. I'm the life. It's so interesting because when he said I'm the life, he's not talking about bios. He's not talking about the fact that you breathe and your heart pumps. That gets its energy from him. He informs that. He's talking about something more superior than that. He's talking about Zoe life. He's talking about the God kind of life. He's talking about the life that he references in John 10.10 when he says, I have come to give them life. What he says, I'm not here to make you breathe and for your heart to pump. What he's saying is, I'm here to introduce you to you life of a superior nature. Every time we get in contact with the, the character of God, the nature of God, things happen. In Greek mythology, there was a king called Midas. And Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. And the, it doesn't matter about it. The, the point is, everything that he touched turned to gold. The thing about it is, in, in our natural walk with God, we have to understand that when Jesus said, I am Zoe, what he was saying was, I am life. And so everything that comes into contact with life, what ends up happening is life manifests itself. When he met uh, at the tomb and he spoke to Lazarus, what ended up happening was Lazarus came face to face with Zoe. And when Zoe presented itself in that picture, all of a sudden death departed because life came in. Zoe manifested itself when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And he says, well, we've only got five loaves and two fishes. What did we do? Zoe kicked in because Zoe's all about life. It's all about multiplication. It's all about fullness. It's all about provision. It's all about health. It's all about wholeness. It's all about living the superior life. It's all about living in connection with what he says is, I don't know how to describe all of these things that are so wonderful and marvelous. All I can do is I can say to you that they're encapsulated in an idea called life. But when you touch life, it changes parts of our life and who we are. As we go through circumstances and situations, when we have a revelation of the fact that Zoe is resident on the inside of us and God's wanting to take Zoe out so he puts it in that place, any, everything in our life that comes in contact with Zoe is transformed. Not because of me, but because his life is resident on the inside of me. Life in and of itself is not really that helpful without light. Because when we simply get life, what ends up happening is life becomes compartmentalized. It's kind of canned up in a place called our spirit. But the thing is, God never intended for his life and his Zoe to live on the inside of us and just to be canned up on our spirit. The reason that, that he brought life and light is because what emanates from life is light. And the purpose of light is to break through the membrane that separates my soul and my spirit and to take part of life and to be able to deposit life into my soulish realm. The whole point about developing a whole new mindset is that God sitting saying, the Zoe, the life that's transformational is resident on the inside of you. And if I can take that and I can impart that into your mindset, it'll change you. Because if you touch Zoe, it changes things. And that includes us. His life does stuff. He refers to, to the life as being light. Because what he's saying is, we come to a place when we come into relationship with God, and so much of our life is characterized by things of darkness. 
When it talks about the kingdom of darkness, it's talking about being at a place where we are ignorant of the things of God. That's what darkness is. It's living in ignorance. And so what ends up happening is I come to God and I have my anxieties, which are in darkness, and my self-doubts, which are in darkness, and my body that's giving me pain, which is sitting in darkness, and my thoughts that are outside of his realm of what the way he thinks about me and my future and who I am. It's sitting in darkness. And what he's saying is every time you come to a place where you meet him and you come in our ignorance and in our darkness, we come into the space where he takes life and he shines that life in that area. And what it does is it begins to illuminate. And when it illuminates, what ends up happening, that space, that foundation of my life, which was established in darkness and in ignorance, the thing about it is when light comes darkness leaves it's transformational turn on the light you never see a fight between light and dark as to who's going to win it doesn't happen but you see when the spirit takes the life of God that's on the inside of us and uses it and imparts it into our soulish realm it comes in as light And as light, what it does is it begins to illuminate for us a whole new way of living, a whole new disposition to the different subjects of our life. And it establishes within us a new foundation, a framework to our life that that is established on life. If I've got a new place to live from, I'll see things differently and people differently. I'll behave differently and I'll live differently. It becomes important because you see, when life is established on the inside of me, when I go into situations and I have something to say, what ends up happening is that light slips out. You can't help it. People say something and all of a sudden it's like, no, it's, and something automatically comes out. Why? Because light was looking for opportunity. We were, I don't know if I told you this story, a few weeks ago, um, the boys were playing football, and I can't remember who it was. It was one of the boys, Colton or Carter, got hurt. And so they were trying to get him sorted out and f- on the field and, and get him together. And I was down at one side, and Sarah was running up, up at the other. And two of the coaches were with him. And Sarah just ran up in the middle of them, and she just said, In Jesus' name! Both of their eyes were about this big. What happened? Light slipped out. Light said, no, this is not right. This is not God's design. Where is life in this situation? I have a responsibility to make an impartation. Light slipped out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Do you know what it's saying? It's saying, I've got great news for you. The very life of God that's on the inside of you, he's going to do something with that light. He's going to use that life that's on the inside of you, and he's going to use light to be able to take that and to begin to redefine the, the foundation, my mindset to life, so that I begin to reflect light. And when I begin to reflect light and live from life, what ends up happening is every time I go places, people sit and say, there it is. It's light. You think that the coaches didn't notice that? Do you think anybody else didn't notice that? Why? What happened? Because light manifests itself in something. Matthew 5 verse 16. We're called to be the light of the world. 
And it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not saying, I want you to be a morally upright Christian. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm going to say a few things today that I'm going to challenge you, but what I'm saying is this. The problem with it is what we've done is is we've disempowered Christianity. And so, so much of of religion nowadays or Christianity or traditional churches are, are bent on creating morally upright people. Morally upright people is a passport factor to being a Christian. The minute you come into the kingdom, the fact of the matter is God is going to do something on the inside of you to change your life and your nature. And you're going to be able to feel very uncomfortable still walking in darkness because I've got the light inside of me. He's going to change you morally. The fact of the matter is this power that is supposed to be evident in our life. We're to be the light of the world. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the life that's on the inside of me. What God is saying in the invitation that he is extending to us is to sit and say, I want the life that's inside of you. I want the Zoe. I want the thing that is transformational to become evident in the world in which you find yourself. That's how we're to live. That's how we get into the book. What we do from life is what makes it into the chapters. All the other stuff that I do because I like it and I love it and I have fun with it, it's okay, but it's not going to get into the book. The biggest challenge that we have, I promise you, so many people are going to have so many words for Adam and Eve when we get to heaven. I... I, I, I think they're going to be like, they, they're going to be in the, what do they call that program that they, they put special like people in to take good care of them? They're going to be in that program in heaven somewhere. They're going to be in disguise because a lot of people have got a lot to deal with. But the, the challenge with it is this. You see, when Adam walked with God in the garden, what ended up happening is he walked with Zoe. He walked with life. And so Zoe informed all that he was and what he was all about. And he became a representative of what that was. He represented and he was established in life and his life was all about light. But when he fell, what ended up happening is he lost life and he lost light. He lost Zoe. What he ended up doing was, he ended up in a place where God, who was the originator of his life, departed. And there was a void left there. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 it says, the eyes of their understanding were opened. You know what that means? It means I used to live from a very different place. I used to live from a place where I was consumed with God. My eyes were on God. And because I looked at him, he had the opportunity to define who I was and what I was all about. He gave definition to how it was that I was supposed to live. But I moved from that space and my eyes were no longer on God anymore, but I became self-aware. Outside of God's context, I begin to look at myself and I began to sit and say, oh, I recognize that there's some deficiencies here and there's some holes in some things and I'm not perhaps the way that I need to be and I've got a little bit of a brashness over there and I feel as though I don't measure up to things and we hide ourselves with fig leaves. I used to be led by the Spirit. 
I used to enjoy the space where the light and the life that was on the inside of me used to inform me and give me direction and invite me into newness and expansion and to creativity. But all of a sudden, I lost the leading of the Holy Spirit and I moved to a place where I was self-oriented. I made the decisions about my life and where I should be and how I should be and how I should act and what I should do and when I should do. I took responsibility for those things. I moved from a place where I took revelation in my heart as the defining factor to my life and I moved to a place where I began to get reason in my head. And all of a sudden I recognized the fact that who I was And the life that I was leading was no longer originated in God, but it originated in me. I let go of Zoe, and I was living by Suke. It's a word we get psychology from. All about what I think, and how I think, and how I decide about things. I know we all know that. I'm just kind of laying a platform to go somewhere. The point is this. I think it is John chapter 1 verse 1 John 1 verse 7. It says walk in the light as I am in the light. Is that right? 1 John 1 verse 7. Yes, I got it right. Walk in the light as I am in the light. That's God's invitation to us. You know it as a church. I'm talking to living faith now. We speak so much about that. The invitation that he expresses and extends to us. Walk in the light as I am in the light. What he's saying is, I want you to have a recognition and an appreciation. I want you to have a value and an honor for the life that's inside of you. And come to the place where that begins to give definition to how we live our life. I think that's important. And the funny thing is, I think we all kind of buy into that. But my concern is what I'm going to share with you now. My concern is this. You see, because we buy into that, we are well-intentioned. Before I tell you any of this stuff, I have to, I have to you know how they said, fill up like warnings at the beginning of movies and stuff. <laughs> I want you to all tell your neighbor, Pastor loves me more than anybody in this church. You tell your neighbor. I want to hear it out of your mouth. This is not directed at you. I'm telling you, I'm talking to you from my heart. If the cap fits, glory be. Take it and run. I'm talking to you from my heart. Okay? Walk in the light as I am in the light. So we're in pursuit of something. We, we want to live the God life. We want to get to a place where it's like, I, I want to know what it is to realize that every day. I want to feel his life and the reality of his presence on an ongoing basis. And so I'm in pursuit of something. And so what we do is we come into church and, and we, 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 we have great praise and worship and we meet with God in that place and we, and we get touched by God. And that's a, it's a good thing. 
And then we decide that what we want to do is, you know, we, we feel as though a few flu symptoms are coming on. So we're going to go and we're going to get into the healing service. And so we go to the healing service and we get prayed for in the healing service. And then we just pray for the nation. And so what we do is we get everybody behind us because we want to go and come into one and we want to agree on things and we're going to pray for the nation. And, and, and then we heard about a Bible study. And so it's a fabulous thing to get into the word. So we get into the Bible study and we're doing all of these things and we glory hallelujah and we shamatating and we lifting our hands and we praising God and we're going to Bible studies and we're reading the book and we're doing all of these things and now you know what the real kicker is I'm glad you're all seated none of that was in the garden we think we're not religious but none of it was in the garden Do you know what was in the garden? One thing. Relationship. Nowhere in my Bible do I read anywhere about Adam attending a praise and worship service. (laughs) Please hear what I'm saying, because I want you to hear very carefully. The point that I'm making is this. There is inherently nothing wrong with any of those things. My concern is that we're engaging in those things and they have become points of engagement where we meet with God. The thing with it is, God is not wanting to have a point of engagement. God is wanting to have a lifestyle. And so what ends up happening is we start to develop a mindset that if I want to connect with God, if I need to pray for something, if I need God's intervention in those things, I run to the praise and worship service. I run and I get people to pray for me. We do all of those things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with them as long as it's not a substitute for relationship. The key to everything is relationship. Your praise and worship on a Sunday is an important thing and it's a valuable thing. But our praise and worship on Sunday should be the fruit of our life. It should be the fruit of a lifestyle that's lived that says, you know what? I reverence and I honor and I value the life. And I'm in pursuit of the life. And as I live every single day and as I deal with situations, I'm looking for the light to give me some understanding as to how do I handle this in light of his life. And I make adjustments to my life. I live in worship. I value his life more than what I think I should do or how I should do it or when I should do it. Why? Because I'm moving to a place where I want to be defined by light. Reading your word is a wonderful thing and never stop doing that because it creates the atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to come in. But unless the written word leads you to the living word, you missed the point. You'll end up with a swollen head and an empty heart. It's not about what you know. That's the trap that Adam and Eve fell into. They replaced revelation with knowledge. Revelation is about the transformation of the very foundation of your life. It's about establishing you in a new mindset that sees life and lives from a perspective that is God's. It's changing my heart. It's not changing my head. Uh 
We want to listen to all of these teachings, and these teachings are wonderful, and everybody wants to know, like, what is the flavor of the month, and, and kind of what is the topic of the, of the hour, what is trending right at the moment. All of those things are great, and all of those things have their place, but I want you to know something. The fact of the matter is, it's never about knowledge, it's about transformation. And if as a result of what I'm engaging in, I'm not transformed in some way, if my relationship with God isn't strengthened and made deeper, I've missed the point. And the problem with is I'm doing all of these rituals. That's what they are. We don't like to think of them that way because we're charismatics and we don't do stuff like that. But we do. We're doing these things. There's nothing inherently wrong with all of those things. Every single thing that we have there adds benefit to your Christianity. The point I'm wanting to make is it's never a substitute for relationship. If you want to know the foundation of everything, go back to the garden with relationship. It was about him. Relationship. It's one of those words that... There's some words that just drive me bananas. The reason I do that is because, you know what? It's like, it's got no definition. Like, math is so simple sometimes. Two and two is four. And it's like, you can argue it, you can do whatever you want, you can have a point of view, it's easy to prove. There it is. But the problem with things like relationship, the problem with things like love, is that the thing with it is, is that it's open to interpretation in many respects. And people approach that subject from a perspective. And they, they very often, what ends up happening is because I'm approaching it from my knowledge and from my experience, I have a predisposition to what relationship is. And very often it's inaccurate because it comes from my knowledge, not from his revelation. So I, I just I want to touch on a, a couple of things today, and what I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping to actually make them more pragmatic. Here's the gist about relationship. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. Relationship is about how I relate to God and He relates to me in a circumstance, in a situation, in a relationship, in a challenge. How do I relate to God in that situation? Does He have place? So for some reason, he doesn't have place. I don't think God's interested in that. Some people have got views and perspectives on it. Our ability to relate to God becomes really, really important because it, it starts to inform the foundation of who we are. And our ability to be able to relate to him and to know who he is in that context, even if I can't even give a definition, it leaves me in a place of security. Let me explain to you what I mean. Do you know why my kids trust me? Because we've grown up together. And they know that I love them. And because we've grown in the place of love, and because they've experienced my expressions of love in their life, it gives them a sense of confidence. So I could say something to them that you could never say. And it carries more weight because the thing is, it's grounded in a relational foundation called love. I know if dad says to me, he's coming to collect me, he will be here. I don't need proof. I don't need it written. I don't need anybody else. I know why, because he told me. He told me, and his word carries with it trust. 
because I trust him because I know he loves me. He would never leave me at a place where I was vulnerable. He would never leave me at a place where I was insecure. He would never leave me at a place where, where I was in any way put in danger. Why? Because he loves me. Galatians 5, 6. Faith works through love. You see, if we can't relate to God and understand that he simply loves us, and wants to grow in that relationship with us, what ends up happening is it's very difficult for us to trust him when he tells us stuff. I know what he's saying is true, but I'm just not sure that it's going to happen. I think it's part of the reason why he refers to us as his family. We are sons and daughters of his. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to know something. As we move through life and you're growing, I want you to understand that the context for that is a love relationship. And I want you to be persuaded of that because there are going to be times in your life where I'm going to establish some things in your life and I'm going to make a demand on them. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I want you to encounter me and my provision and my love for you and, and my, my, um, my meeting you in that place. I want for you to have an encounter, but the only way that you're going to act on the invitation is if you trust me. Relationship with God. How do we relate to him? And how do we see him? The other thing that I want to touch on is is God is, he loves us in in his relationship with us. But the thing is, Although love is basically a defining characteristic of his life, the thing is he also comes with light. The reason he does that is because we find ourselves in a strange place. When we get born again, we have the kingdom of light that comes on the inside of us, and it it defines who we are. It's characterized by the life of Christ. It's on the inside of me. The problem is all too often when we meet God, we, we approach him with a mindset that's been defined through a through exposure to the kingdom of darkness. It's defined by ignorance. And the only way that he's able to take the life that's in our spirit and begin to change our mindset, not change our ideas, change our mindset so that it becomes representative of life, is through revelation. Revelation is another one of those words. It's like we band it about often. And I was thinking a little bit about revelation. And in its simplest way, what revelation is, is I want to reveal myself. Really simple. It's about taking who I am and saying to you, this is who I am in this situation. This is what I'm all about. As we spend, the reason that getting into his word becomes really important is because the atmosphere is created for the Holy Spirit to be able to take the word of God, which is beginning to give us a picture of who God is, and allow that to be able to permeate through the membrane that that divides between our soul and our spirit, and to begin to shed light on the inside of who we are and establish a new foundation in us. It changes who we are. What are we doing? I'm getting to a place where I'm going back to my original design. I recognize that Adam put me in a place where who I was and my life is being originated in me. But I don't want it originated in me anymore. I want my life, my, my soul, my foundation, my mindset to be changed 
and I want it to originate in God. And the way it originates in God is when I make space for Zoe to come back in. Matthew um, chapter 6, I think, verse 25. Sorry, Matthew 16, 25 says, um, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about suke. What he's saying is, if you want to hold on to your ideas about life, you can do that. If you want to hold on to the way that you've defined your life and your way of living, you can do that. The problem with it is, it's not going to lead you to good things. The offer I'm extending to you is to pass up on your suke and to once again lay claim to Zoe. Let the life of God come and begin to redefine once again our soulish realm. It changes us and because it establishes a new foundation in us. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. It's the story of um, Jesus is with his disciples and he's talking to them and he says to them, who does everybody say that I am? And Peter jumps up and he says, you are the Christ. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjonia, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he's saying is this. I'm so excited for you, Peter, and I'll tell you why. Because you spent your life living in suke. You spent your life understanding who I was and what I was about from your perspective. But you've got to a place where you've stepped over the line and once again you've allowed God to begin to give definition to your life. What you've got was not from yourself, it was from him. You've stepped from Suke back to Zoe. All of a sudden, something which is of God, the very life of God, is beginning to establish the foundation of your life. You see, Simon was a flake. He was wobbly. He was all over the place. But Peter was a rock. What happened? He stepped from Suke back into Zoe. And Jesus said, the reason I'm excited for you is because your life is established on a solid foundation. It's established now in the life of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what they're not going to prevail against. What changes our life is our foundation. The challenge sometimes, sorry, I'm running on a little bit, but I, I want to just finish this. The challenge with it sometimes is that we think that if we let God Zoe come in and redefine the foundation of our life, it's going to cost us something. We think that God wants to hold out on us. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he met with Jesus and he said, talk to me about the kingdom and how I inherit the kingdom and all the rest. And what did God say to him? Sell everything that you've got and come and follow me. What was the problem? The problem was his foundation. You see, he was a double-minded man. What ended up happening, he was, I'm interested in the kingdom, but I'm living from my own perspective. I'm interested in the God life, but I'm interested in defining the things the way that I see them. So what ended up happening is, he was sitting saying, well, fine, if God is inviting me into kingdom, he's saying it's going to come at the expense of everything that I own. What he didn't understand was this. If he understood kingdom he would understand that God was never taking anything from him. He would understand that God was stepping him into a place of complete provision. You may have finances in this area, but it doesn't do anything for you when you lose your mind. 
It doesn't help you in the least when you're full of anxiety. It doesn't help you when your kids are stuck on drugs and alcohol and you're sitting saying, I need something that's going to help me and my money isn't going to help me at this point. What he was saying was, I'm not taking anything from you. I'm trying to elevate your life. The problem with it is, if we live our lives from suke, what ends up happening is our mind is not, our eye is not single-minded. And so it affects our body. So we see things in double all the time. It's when we live from revelation that we begin to see from God's perspective. And when God says, give that up, we go, glory be. Let me tell you what I'm getting for this. Not only do I get everything coming back to me, but I get a storehouse in heaven. Everything that I need is provided for because of what the kingdom has made available to me. I see it with a different perspective. Let me make it practical. We don't realize it, but all too often we put our spouse as the foundation of our life. I cannot tell you how many people I speak to and have to counsel about, my biggest problem is I'm just so jealous of them and I can't deal with this. And it's like, well, why are you so jealous? Well, this and that and the next thing. You know why? It's because your foundation isn't on him. He has become your foundation. So I can't afford to lose you because the thing about it is what happens when you walk out the door. It's the biggest challenge that happens in marriages. When marriages fall apart, all of a sudden somebody's life falls apart. I know, I've been there. And the horrible shock and the revelation of it is all of a sudden you come to the realization that I invested too much of myself in it. I let you become the foundation of my life And because of that, my happiness and my security and my well-being and my future and my everything was secured on this foundation. And when you pull it away, all of a sudden, everything in my life wobbles. And Jesus is saying, you've got to change your foundation. You think that because you're living from suke. You thinking that that's the case. But when you get a revelation of his life and you allow that to come in and to begin to redefine the the foundation of our life, I see you differently. I love you to bits. I think that you're the best thing ever. What a wonderful addition to my life God has put into my life. And I appreciate and I value it from that perspective. But the fact of the matter is, at some point, if you do something really dumb and you decide to walk off, I'm not falling apart. I won't like it. I'll be hurt but my foundation is secure. My foundation is secure. In all that we do in life, God is looking and God is extending an invitation to reveal himself to us. The reason that we don't see him is because we're really not looking. Matthew 6.33, seek first. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What he's saying is this. The kingdom is within you. Every place you go, every rock you turn over, every corner you go around, every door that you open, the kingdom is there. And the kingdom sitting saying, are you prioritizing me? When was the last time that something happened in your life where you stopped for a minute and said, I know what my priority is. Holy Spirit, what do I do in this space? How do I handle this? Give me light. This is practical stuff. The reason I'm talking about this is because I'm trying to migrate our Christianity from a place that lives from moments of encounter, where we live from rituals at church, so that it becomes relational. 
Every day should be a garden experience in relationship. I'm not saying life's not going to have challenges. What I'm saying is, Adam lived from relationship. I think the space that the church in America is moving into is this realm. The people who wobble are the people who don't prioritize. The people who wobble are the people who have their foundation established on how I think things should be as opposed to what the word says. I cannot tell you how many people have left this church because I confronted them about, they were talking about some beliefs and convictions they had. And I said, well, this is what the word of God said. And, and you know what? They said, I don't care. This is what I think. I'm like, I can't change that. Why? Because my suke and how I think is more important than Zoe and life and light. I'm excited about the future because I believe that we are stepping into the true and authentic church and what it should be. The true authentic church should experience the life of Christ out there Monday to Saturday. And when we come together on Sundays, it should be, let's kick a hole in the roof. Let me tell you about what light did this week. Don't come in for a great sermon. I may have nothing. It doesn't matter. Don't come in expecting great praise and worship. Alex may decide he wants to take the day off. Nothing. Don't expect a great welcome. Rafa is is on vacation. Nothing matters. The reason we come together is because we're celebrating light. The reason we come together is to sit and say, let me tell you, you know what? All my whole life I dealt with situations like this and I'm changing. Things are not the same as they used to be. My life is not the same. I never used to consider God when I went to work and when I was in the car and I had Traffic and people who don't know where to drive and Maryland drivers and I had everything else. I didn't mind. The thing about it is I got there and I was like, okay, I can find God in this space. And the fact that it took me an extra 10 minutes is, you know, it gave me the opportunity to recalibrate my life. And so when I stepped in the door, I was like, okay, I'm grounded and rooted in light now. So where do we go from here? When you sit in a board meeting and this is the reality, what's the first thing we do? I default to my experience and where I've been and my knowledge and my everything else. Or do I sit and say, light, where are you? This is where Christianity becomes real. This is what it's about. It's about living in the garden. There was no church building. No steeple with a cross on it. It wasn't in there. You need to come to church because you're part of the body. You congregate because you're part of the body. But you come together to celebrate what light is doing in your life and in your world. That's what it's about. This is not the place for encounter. We'll have it. But it's not the place for it. The place for encounter is out there. That's where it becomes lifestyle. That's where he touches my business and my family and my relationships and my schooling and my work experience and all of those different aspects of my life. All of that stuff needs to be immersed and infused and flooded with light. And if necessary, use a few words. It's not an invitation to take your donkey-choking Bible 
This huge thing. And go and tell people how they're going to turn or burn. Live it. Live it. When you live the light, the light shines in the darkness. And people are interested in light. People don't want religion and people don't want rituals. People want light and life. You demonstrate light and life, they will look to you and want to know what's different about you. That's where I become salt. That is where I become light. Can we all stand? I thank you, Father, for the most dynamic bunch of people on the earth. I thank you, Father, for light carriers. I want to thank you for people who who make a decision to sit and say, from this day forward, my pursuit is to find you in situations. I know everywhere I go, whatever I do, whether I'm studying, working, vacuuming, sitting in a boardroom or, or dealing with an issue on the phone, I want to thank you that you're with me. I want to thank you for your guidance. I want to thank you that light comes in and illuminates. I want to thank you light gives me the opportunity to speak to circumstances and situations and look for transformation and change. I want to thank you, Father, for people that the eyes of their understanding are opened and they begin to live from the Zoe life that's established on the inside of them. Father, let them not look for voices, but let them look for promptings. Ideas that you take that originate in our spirit that pepper our mind. I thank you for a peculiar generation. I thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity as the church reinvents itself to go back to the authentic Christianity. Father, let us keep in the forefront of our mind the priority with everything is valuing and esteeming how we relate to you and how you relate to us. Everything else is secondary. Father, I just pray for every person this week that you push them out into the darkness, the blackness of night, so that they can take the life that's on the inside of them. Because the darker it is, the brighter it shines when the light comes out. I thank you for world changes, society transformers, I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.